0: Well, I'm terribly frightened by the problem with LSD. Uh, I think there's been a great deal of misinformation. Good people don't smoke marijuana.
1: Don't criticize what you can't understand.
0: There is nothing smart. There is nothing uh, grown up or sophisticated in taking an LSD trip at all. They're just being complete fools. Right, exactly. And that's one of the components of the LSD experience, the understanding that there is no they, there's no other. It is all one. One that would engage in this or indulge in this is just a plain fool.
1: Welcome to the Psychedelic Psychedelic
0: So, Chris, how necessary is a psychedelic society nowadays? What is it?
2: Yeah, that that's a question that I hear a lot. You know, we we do some uh, events where we interface with the public sometimes, and that's like the first question people come up with: like, what is, what are you doing? What is this psychedelic society thing? And in this area, in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, Minnesota, pretty unheard of. We, we're we're really the first of its kind here and it's basically just a way to get the community engaged in this process of advocating for responsible psychedelic uh, legalization and the education surrounding it. We're just trying to understand better how we can get this, this really potentially beneficial thing into our society as a whole.
0: So as an outsider looking in, I would think that it would be easy to get confused about the motivation and the goals of something called the psychedelic society. So do you feel like you're able to strike a balance between catering towards the hippie freak festival goer who's fresh off a psychedelic experience and a psychologist who wants to get more information on uh, the therapeutic effects of psychedelic compounds?
2: Yeah, we hope so. Um, you know, we've occasionally we get some people that are, are maybe seeing things in, in a conflicting way. You know, we, we want very much to keep this above ground, first of all. Uh, we want to um, engage the public in a way that's safe, legal, you know we're we're trying to make this a responsible beneficial thing so sometimes we, when people approach us with more of a I don't know reckless. Uh, I don't want to use the word recreational because it's sometimes thrown around in ways that uh, I think maybe include some potentially beneficial uh, uses of psychedelics. But you know, there's that crowd that are partying more with drugs and and using them in maybe less therapeutic ways, and that doesn't always vibe with us. But we're we're really trying to get as many people involved in a process that helps this be a part of society. Seems to me that the skeptics are still unaware of the science
0: that's happening around these psychedelic compounds. And it looks like the Psychedelic Society of Minneapolis is making an effort to provide that information to anybody who's curious
2: about it. Is that accurate? It's a big deal and it's really helpful for our cause right now too, because the the skepticism, the, the fear surrounding these kinds of substances, It's been around for decades. You know, we've got entire generations that are scared of this stuff and not really for rational reasons. So when we can come at them with some rational evidence that helps to um, attenuate fears and help people understand there's certain ways of doing things with psychedelics that are more beneficial than others. And if we kind of operate within those kind of boundaries, we're very likely to get good results. I know there's
0: people thinking, why would I come to these meetings and listen to some people regurgitate facts from articles that they found online when I can do that at home? And one reason would be that the founder happens to be a psychedelic researcher herself, neuroscientist Dr. Jessica Nielsen, who is involved in one way or another in all of these meetings, whether she's curating them or just being at the meetings to be part of a conversation.
2: Yeah, yeah, she's pretty cool. Uh, not only does she have the actual experience with psychedelics, but she's got the education, the the credentials to work within the system, and that's really kind of defined how effective we can be as the Psychedelic Society of Minneapolis. Because when we have that in to the major university system through the clinical therapy system. Uh, that that provides a measure of legitimacy that has I mean I don't even know what we would have done without it to be honest I mean we would have just kind of been a ragtag team of you know weirdos if we didn't have that but this precedent has been set
1: Psychedelic Society.
3: So yeah, my name's Jessica Nielsen. I have a doctorate or a PhD in neurobiology. I received that in 2010 from the University of California, Irvine. And then I went, um, I actually took a little bit of time off after I finished my PhD to do some soul searching and tried ayahuasca for the first time. And that was kind of how I got interested in psychedelics in general. And I was sort of feeding into what was I gonna do from that point on in my career and my training and not really having enough uh, training at that point to be a psychedelic researcher officially. Um, I went and did a postdoc learning some computer science and uh, bioinformatics methods at the University of California, San Francisco, which is obviously the hotbed and kind mm-hmm. of the mecca of the the second wave of the psychedelic renaissance that happened back in the sixties. And so it was kind of an interesting place to network and get um, sort of integrated into the psychedelic society that was already there that started in around 2011. And I was pursuing my research there and trying to figure out a way to get involved in mental health because I felt that if I wanted to do psychedelic research, I would need to get more involved in psychiatry and psychology and find colleagues in that space as well as as networking with other psychedelic researchers like... Folks at the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. Mm-hmm. So all of that was kind of feeding into the work I was doing when I was doing my postdoctoral training in San Francisco. And through that, I, I came to um, know a psychiatrist who then was recruited here to the University of Minnesota to be the department chair in the, um, in the psychiatry department. And she actually recruited me about a year later um, to be a tenure track assistant professor in the psychiatry department. I also have a joint appointment at the Institute for Health Informatics um, where I'm doing some really cool research on this new field called computational psychiatry, which is trying to merge what we know about the brain and using some of these um, interesting machine learning and artificial intelligence techniques to really kind of make sense of these complex brain-based disorders that impact things like mental health and also other neurological disorders like brain injuries. Smart as fuck.
2: (laughs) Yeah, dog. She's, uh, you know, when your credentials are an entire paragraph, uh, you know you mean business.
0: Well, think about this. I mean, what are the odds of having the brain capacity to be a neuroscientist out of one in what, seven, eight billion people? So there's a handful of them, I guess let alone someone whose life circumstances leads them to having an ayahuasca experience which is maybe another handful of people and then to try to you know have the passion to figure out what is happening uh in that experience uh biologically uh neuro neurologically i mean that's some freaking uh really uh, really small odds, you know it's what rare I mean? and we're it's just a super awesome lucky thing for the psychedelic society of Minneapolis.
2: Yeah, yeah, I feel super lucky to have met her and to to be a part of this thing she's creating. Uh, yeah, you, you don't get too many people, especially out here in the Midwest. You know, who are not only true. you know Very com- true. comfortable and enthusiastic about psychedelics, but you know have have some education that that can be extremely useful to investigating this stuff.
3: While I was here, I really wanted to, as a psychedelic researcher, be able to build a community around psychedelics to not only figure out who are the allies, potential colleagues and collaborators, um, and friends. You know, kind of rally the troops and and bring in the people that. want to be involved in destigmatizing psychedelics and talking about them openly and doing so in a responsible way and really showing that these are very amazing and promising tools not only for mental health research but also for spirituality and wellness and people are drawn to psychedelics for a variety of different reasons and so I think being able to rally around that common interest regardless of how you're coming into it I think is important to build community around that
0: For a long time, I really felt kind of isolated in this work and not really uh, having a, a forum or a place to really find
1: others to, you know, to share the information with, to share the work with.
2: Well, my personal psychedelic experiences um, first started off with close friends um, that don't really have the same views as I do when it comes to psychedelics and healing and reforming trauma and uh, mental illness. So I
1: decided to search for something more, a community that was able to kind of be on the same vibe as me, so to speak. I've also learned a lot about the science of what happens with psychedelics. What? What's
3: it chemically doing in me? So when I got here, I moved here in October of 2017. And it took me a bit to kind of, you know, get settled and get my bearings. And and I started realizing it was very hard to make friends in Minnesota as an outsider. Mm. And so one of the things was I was looking on Meetup. Like maybe there's a, there was a peer integration meetup that was supposed to be surrounded about psychedelics. There was a little note on Meetup that said, hey, if you don't see what you're looking for, just create it. And I was like, okay, so I did. That's what you did. Yeah, and so I just started it and called it the Psychedelic Society of Minneapolis and was kind of basing it based on the principles and some of the codes of conduct and and ideas that the Psychedelic Society of San Francisco had. And since the Psychedelic societies formed the one in San Francisco, there's actually psychedelic societies all over the world. So we're just kind of one chapter of that larger organization organization and how we can work together as organizers to really kind of spread psychedelic awareness throughout the planet and, you know, get people more engaged in the conversations about psychedelics and the responsible use of psychedelics and how we can bring these back into the forefront of scientific research and and just society in general. Powerful tools for transformation and, and healing, which I think we really need right now.
0: The first thing that comes to mind is, like, giant bonfire, people in Daiglo paint, kind of a a Burning Man Uh setting. That's just the image that that comes to me. And, you know, being involved in it now and uh, observing and listening to stories uh, from you and Adam telling it... um, you know, it's. It sounds like there's there's meetings of legitimately credentialed uh, psychologists um, and um, kind of health practitioners getting in rooms with each other and trying to figure out how do we bring this legitimate psychedelic therapy to Minnesota. Is that true?
2: That's one. Yeah, that's the one of the focuses of, of our therapist group. That um, I'm I'm not involved in that because I'm not a licensed therapist or anything like that. But yeah, we're we're trying to pull together as many of the local uh, clinicians, licensed uh, doctors, physicians, whatever, and have that exact conversation. What? What? How, how do we make this work? How do we make it beneficial?
3: Well, it's interesting because I think I'm, I'm surprised in the sense that I didn't think there would be this much support in the Midwest, in Minneapolis, uh, for psychedelics. I mean, like okay. I said, I was living in San Francisco for a long time, and so I just think everyone... <laughs> like is interested in psychedelics or you know just because that's kind of the lens and the communities that i come from so i'm i'm more curious about why people here are so afraid to talk about it and i think it's interesting to kind of see them come to meetings and people are either really excited that they've finally found a community that they can talk to about these things i mean we've had a couple members like break down and get very emotional because yeah. they felt so isolated for so long, mm-hmm. and now they they finally have a community. Uh,
1: the main things that I've gotten out of it in my uh, probably 10 months of membership uh, is connection to people, some really cool people that I've become good friends with. And I can talk about my psychedelic experiences or questions or concerns with these people.
0: It's a real treat, really. It's really nice to be around uh, like-minded people or people who are having similar experiences.
1: There's many different people in the society alone, I mean, with different degrees,
2: different backgrounds, whether that be... um, what they do for their job, whether they've got mental illness themselves or not, um, and just having the support from all these different areas is very beneficial.
1: I like to attend the TED Talk meetings. I've been to a couple of the member meetings, and uh, oh, I like to uh,
0: attend the social events as well, a little more casual, laid back kind of uh, environment.
1: My personal favorite, I have two personal favorites. One is the um, the peer integration circle. Because I so strongly believe that integration is the key to making your psychedelic journeys part of your everyday reality. My second favorite is the book clubs. It always brings up fruitful, interesting conversation. So I like those two things. Oh, I also have a fondness for the women's group.
0: It seems to me that this um, psychedelic society of Minneapolis is providing opportunity for basically anybody who, who is involved in it to start their own group and to make something out of nothing, basically. So you have the opportunity to, you know, build community around your ideas.
2: Yeah, totally. Uh, if you're already really passionate about psychedelics, uh, we would love to have you uh, come and offer some something that's unique to your skills or to, to your perspective, because this is community-based. You know, It's all here because of regular people that just want to make this a real thing and to see the potential benefits of psychedelics come to the surface. It goes for anybody. So anybody with the
0: slightest curiosity about these things, uh, we want the skeptics c- to to come. We we, we want everybody because, uh, you know, we we just want to provide the information that's happening around these things because it's super exciting and it is truly helping people um, across the board with, with with so many different things. So it's just uh, come one, uh, come all, and um, it's basically the doors are open
2: for everyone. Yeah dude psychedelicmpls.com meetup.com check us out
1: psychedelic
2: So we get a lot of stories like that. Uh, Members come to our meetings from various backgrounds, but they seem to have a similar experience where they're finding community and they're they're finding a way to explore these kinds of uh, substances and states of consciousness in a safe and uh, hopefully beneficial way. But um, unfortunately, there is—you know—there's some attention that we get from certain people out there looking into psychedelics that isn't exactly what we're into, and we like to be clear about that. You know where our boundaries are. You know because certain activities are obviously going to make it impossible for us to to do what we do above ground. You know, safe, legal, and so we have to address some of those concerns.
3: Because we are getting a lot of desperate people with very debilitating mental health disorders that have they're just kind of on their last resort you know nothing they've tried has worked Mm -hmm. in the current medical models of how we treat mental illness and they're frustrated and they're looking for anything and they're hearing all these popular press stories about psychedelics being the thing that's going to cure all their problems which i think is a bit misguided and can be somewhat harmful because somebody in that state without the proper education is going to seek these substances out potentially in a in a irresponsible way that either puts them in legal trouble or puts them in a situation where they might make their mental health worse because of this this idea of set and setting you know what's what's going on in the person's mind is the set and what's going on in the setting and where they're actually doing it and who's helping them and who's facilitating that that therapy for them so um we we get a lot of those people and it's also like our last member meeting was really about just educating the people in our community about if you're looking for recreational experiences go to Amsterdam you know Mm -hmm. um, go to California to go smoke some pot or or do some ketamine assisted psychotherapy or whatever like don't come to our meetings and ask other members who's your underground therapist or who's your drug dealer we act on that there's just so much so much good work being done that I would hate to see all of it jeopardized because all it takes is one horrible breakdown you know bring down a whole legacy
0: gentlemen from maryland and i just wonder about the responsibility of this legislation to have the government promote these items that are on the schedule things like mdma the pure form of molly and meth is, is that what we want our kids we want the federal government telling our families and our children take this it's good for you uh you know Maybe it is, but I sure don't think it is. I certainly don't want my kids taking it, and I certainly don't want the government promoting it. I, mean, I don't think this is what the, the government should be promoting, and I think we should have a lot more research before we tell our kids that this is what they should be doing, and I yield the ballot.
3: Anybody that is even remotely aware of all the science and the research that's been coming through the pipeline since 1994... You know, it started with Rick Strassman giving people DMT, and that was kind of one of the first psychedelic studies that was done since, I think, the late 60s in humans. Because um, once the, the drug war started, it was shut down, obviously. So it's been slowly bubbling up, and now, like, there's so many different credible um, investigators and, you know, top research universities that are doing this research. So I think for anyone that's skeptical, sure, you can let them have their moment and talk about conspiracy theories about drug cults and and underground drug king pins and whatnot, but that's not what the psychedelic society is about. And I always tell people, you know, just look at, look at our website, look at all the different resources we have available. Look at the research, look at the, there's dozens, if not more than that, clinical trials right now, all over the world, looking at different types of compounds that are currently schedule one drugs to treat a variety of different major health conditions.
0: I'm not going to lie, seeing all this new research coming out about these psychedelic compounds
2: Makes me want to take mushrooms like every day, man. Do you think that's a good idea, or? Well, that's a, that's the question we're at now. You know, you know, we've got a lot of people, a lot of you know, young experimental type people like, coming across psychedelics here and there, and they're they're taking it under whatever situations they're in. You know, are they doing it around other people? Are they doing it by themselves? Yeah, well, we're not really sure. And, and it, it's nice when we can get some professional advice on that.
3: Yeah, I think you bring up an interesting point of like, you know, I don't think psychedelics should be done on a very regular basis. I think they're very powerful tools and they can unlock a lot of potential and only need to be done once a year or less um, if done correctly with the right intention having the right preparation and then the integration strategy and so i learned this early on when i was you know in college or or graduate school and i was um i was doing mushrooms a little too much you are not designed to live in that space all the time our bodies are not set up for that like There's a reason why we have a default mode network, so you can function in the world and interact with other people and make sense of reality. So I think they're just good to kind of help realign you and calibrate your mind and highlight the things that you're not focusing on, the things that you're trying to bury under the rug. Those are always the first things that come up. It's like a heat seeking missile. And just doing that when you're feeling stuck and finding out what you need to do to fix it, but then finding some tangible way to integrate that. And integration, it looks different for every person. Some people it's journaling, some people it's exercise. For me, it's really about changing some very um, ingrained behaviors in my life that I know aren't serving me well you know like uh, I'm a big procrastinator I stay up too late I don't eat well so I'm like taking very small baby steps to change these fundamental aspects of who I am because I recognize it's not something that's just gonna get fixed overnight because I want it to I have to slowly incorporate these major changes into my life over the next couple years and and that's fine and I'm like I have my I have my to-do list and I'm working on it and I don't feel like you know I don't feel the need to do psychedelics all the time.
0: So there is a reason why we have a default mode network or a sense of awareness of self or ego, if you will.
2: Yeah, I I like that Jessica uh, really pointed that out because a lot of times the drug culture, particularly like illicit drugs, they're seen as these addictive substances something you want to just keep doing and just stay high all the time but um, you know, through personal experience uh, and also the research validating these, these points about uh, using psychedelics as a tool now and then to recalibrate, to get a different perspective, and then go back to your life—you know, go back to work, do your normal thing—but you know, now you have a new perspective to make the adjustments to to see some improvements in the ways that you want to have.
0: So, more than just providing the information, it's super cool to have um, the founder. Being on the front lines of this groundbreaking uh, scientific research into psychedelics.
2: Yeah, exactly, man. I mean, she's she's getting money together to do her own research, and you know, it's at the University of Minnesota, so you know, like the the primary academic center of our entire state, and and if you know if if that's successful, we would be the first in the Midwest and. And that's awesome, you know. I, I think Minnesota ought to be. We're, we're a pretty progressive uh, part of this, this country and it makes sense.
3: So we set up this new fund, it's called the PATH Fund, um, which is an acronym for Psychedelic Assisted Therapy. And it's basically a discretionary fund that's been set up now, I think the total now is that we're up to $30,000 now in this fund and um, all from donations. And this will help us get research up and running at the university. I have a little bit of startup funding from, just like the university gives you a, a pot of money to get your research in your lab up and running. That's why it's called a startup fund. Um, so I have money for that. And then I've also got the PATH fund. And um, the idea is to be able to leverage that and kind of get this up and running here in the Twin Cities. Um, and hopefully once we kind of establish ourselves as a credible psychedelic research site um, with investigators that have experience doing this, then we could submit a grant to the government. Um, hopefully once maybe things have passed through clinical trials, once the psilocybin studies up and running for the phase three study for depression, then I would hope at that point, the evidence is so overwhelming mm-hmm. for the potential of these things. And even another agency, the FDA has recognized their potential, even if NIH doesn't want to, hopefully at some point that will turn the tide and we'll start seeing more um, federal level support for this kind of research.
2: Yeah, so we all really appreciate Jessica putting forth this effort and getting an actual psychedelic research fund here at the University of Minnesota. That, that could really uh, make an impact on, like she said, the possible FDA approval of psychedelic therapy um, and eventually maybe even the rescheduling of psychedelic substances. Uh, but that's not the only way. You know, we, we, we want to also look at the local efforts that have already. Um, made changes in places like Denver and Oakland and soon-to-be other places like Oregon, possibly. Um, here in Minnesota, we've got our own effort as well. Uh, the Psychedelic Society is itself hosting the Decriminalized Nature Minneapolis effort. And that is looking to work with local state reps, uh, you know, city council members, you know, people that are willing to listen and take the information that we have to offer as well as our resources in the form of our members.
0: So one of the bigger ways to move this thing along is for you, our members, to create testimonials, share your story, your positive experiences with psychedelics so we can compile those and get those in front of state representatives and people who are making these decisions for drug policy reform Um, you have had the experience and we need you to share it with the world Um, one way to do that Go to psychedelicmpls.com. All the information is there. Reach out to us. So if you go to meetup.com, type in Psychedelic Society of Minneapolis, that's where all the members are communicating, posting the different meetings, and that's the way that you can join the Psychedelic Society of Minneapolis and get involved in this great cause. Um, we're going to have all the links in the show notes. Okay, so I know I can't come to these meetings asking for drugs, and I'm not coming to these meetings expecting some sort of psychedelic rave party or anything like that, but I do wanna come out of sheer curiosity for the scientific research surrounding these psychedelic compounds nowadays And I want to bring my dad, who is staunch against all of this and is completely closed minded to it all. So, what does the Psychedelic Society have to offer for the both of
2: us? Yeah, so basically, what it looks like is we use the meetup.com website as our platform to schedule meetings and to have online discussions. So, you know, you visit us there, you request a membership, answer a few questions. You know, we just want to get to know you, see what your interests are. And then once you're a member, you can see the event details. You can RSVP, and um, you know we've we've got a number of great events right now. Um, lately, we've had a, a public event that uh, was a place for some of our members to give a little presentation, a talk about some of the information that is important to them about psychedelics or their personal experiences. Um, before that, we had Dennis McKenna show up, and he gave us um, kind of his farewell rundown of his history. With, with psychedelics and I do a science club where I basically present scientific papers uh, relevant to psychedelics
0: Philosophical Discussion Group is a big one
2: Yeah, that was a popular one for a while basically just kind of posing uh, an, a question for everyone and then having people sort of chime in with, with their ideas about what, what these sort of like bigger abstract things going on involve psychedelics with
0: All conversation and information exchanged on the Psychedelic Renaissance Podcast is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice. Nothing on this podcast should supersede or supplement the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although this podcast has medical professionals on it, they are not functioning as so in this environment. The Psychedelic Renaissance Podcast does not encourage the illicit use of illegal substances. We encourage you to think for yourselves. We encourage you to discern all information presented presented in this episode. And kids, don't do drugs. But parents, you might wanna do your research.